Welcome into Locked On Knicks. Alex Wolf and Gavin Shaw here, and we have a great episode for you guys today. Brought on a guest. Uh, he is Prez. You may know him as at underscore Presidente on Twitter. He's the lead draft writer for The Strickland, a website you might have heard of at thestrick.land on the internets uh, that I happen to also be editor-in-chief of. Uh, but Gavin, we... We had a discussion that we got into during our trade value ranking, and we decided to turn it into a full episode, and we managed to put this together on the spot with Prez to talk about a little a little thing that we got a little heated about the other day. Yeah, man, that, that was what we haven't had a good debate in a long time. I think we've become increasingly lockstep, Alex, the longer we've done this podcast together. Uh, this was a good one. Uh, where R.J. Barrett would go in this year's draft given the context of his rookie year. And you were a lot higher on him than I was. I mean, you, you said you'd pretty clearly have him as the second pick behind LaMelo Ball. I was arguing more so five, six, or seven, somewhere in that range. Um, and we decided to settle it. Prez is a guy who knows a lot more than either of us about this year's prospects. So we get into how RJ compares to most of them. And we really go deep on the comparison between him and Isaac Okoro. They're very similar in a lot of ways. And Prez has some great insight on that and more next on Locked on Knicks. You are Locked on Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes right now. All right, welcome into Locked On Knicks. Alex Wolf here, Gavin Shaw with you as usual. And as we mentioned, we have a guest today. Uh, he is the draft writer for the Strickland, a little website that I have somewhat of an affiliation with. Uh, and that is Prez. Prez, how are you doing today? Welcome back to the show, by the way. I'm good. And yeah, thanks for having me back. Um, just, you know, hanging, enjoying these uh, good playoff games and and same old, same old. Summer's a little different than normal, but... At the minimum, I'll, I'll take some good playoff basketball. Yeah, uh, it's been kind of a kind of a different sort of treat for this time of year. Normally, we'd be having like a baseball pennant race and NFL preseason, but instead we get treated to postseason basketball and all those other things. Which <laughs> <Versus laughs> exactly. kind of interesting. It's so it's like low key turned into one of the better sports summers like ever. Um, even if the I don't know bubble play maybe. It, I'm starting to think deserves a tiny bit of an asterisk because there's definitely something to be said for this whole small gym effect and all that stuff. But at any rate, um, yeah, so we brought you on today because Gavin and I had a nice little, I don't know if I want to use the word heated. It was, but it it was an engaging discussion uh, on our, our asset ranking pod just yesterday, actually, where we were talking about RJ Barrett's value as it relates to this year's lottery pick. And I was like, man, I don't know. Compared to this class, I think even, you know, even if you're not just talking draft type levels, you know, of like where we were looking at RJ coming out of college, I think even if you're talking about 
you know, if you have a year's worth of NBA tape where obviously he had his struggles this year and that this, that, and the other, but like if you would throw RJ's name into this year's draft pool with what we know about him now, or honestly with what we knew about him last year, even I think he's most likely at lowest, the number two pick in this draft. But, you know, I think you can make a case for LaMelo and my basic argument was like, they have some kind of similar skills. Lamelo's obviously a better ball handler, better passer, but then RJ's better on defense. And I think you could probably argue at this point that RJ has what appears to be a more consistent jumper form, uh, even if he struggled on on off the dribble shooting and stuff like that. And really needs to up that part of his game compared to Lamelo. Uh, I think he's shown a pretty consistent jumper form and arguably a little underrated, uh, particularly on catch and shoot, like just because he happened to be in a rookie class that had a number of pretty damn good shooters and it kind of overshadowed him a bit. Uh, but Prez, I, I mean, I won't, I won't keep rambling and bringing up same talking points. Uh, I know that you, I, you kind of reminded me cause it's been a while since the, since the end of the regular season for the Knicks. And since we were talking more about, uh, current Knicks rather than, you know, prospects and stuff. But you were among a lot of people sort of on the lower end on RJ throughout the year. So I think this is kind of a you, – you probably make sort of a good moderator in a way and someone to weigh in on this. But I'm curious what your thoughts are about RJ versus the the rest of the 2020 draft class. Yeah, I've come a long way from being a – Lead leader, some would say, of the the RJ haters bandwagon. Um, I'm still not, you know, his biggest fan club member. But on PNT, when I did my disrespectful comparisons, I had for the low end, <laughs> and there's a whole other podcast to be done on on how accurate or not accurate these have been in the years that I've done them. But for him, I had the low. <laughs> I had lefty Mario Hazonia as the low end. <laughs> and then I had, uh, for the mid-level, I had Canadian Larry Hughes. <laughs> and then for the high end, I had taller 2019 Justice Winslow. And the 2019 was, that that's a, was in reference to when he had that random stint of games where he was playing point guard for the Heat mm. and was not bad at it and was putting up like, decent numbers across the board, like racking up stats and getting picked up on fantasy waiver wires across the country for about two months. Um, so there's that. And then on my board back then, I had him, like a lot of draft Twitter, I didn't have him second. I had him behind Zion, Brandon Clark, his twin, Jarrett Culver, who remains his twin after one season, and uh, Ja. Morant so um I don't know I I wasn't a big fan of his and the big reason the biggest reason all those jokes aside was like for me all the like the back of the napkin test is like what are you really extremely good at what are you elite at that you're bringing into the league and RJ was kind of it was very difficult for me to answer that question because normally with guys the answer to that question stands out like, oh, Zion is athletic and has incredible touch and a million other things, you know, John Morant or take Trey, like some people were down on him, but I was like, he's a historic, he's an elite 
ball handler, an elite passer, and an elite shooter, and elite at drawing fouls. So, like, if historically, if you have two or three elite traits, you're in pretty good shape. If you have more than that, you're probably, like, you're going to be a star. Um, but there's a question of kind of how granular do you make it, right? Like, do I cheat and say something like RJ's was elite, RJ's elite at driving? Like, technically, he is, right? Like, he's he's elite, not for his age, but just period in the NBA, like, at getting to the rim, even though his handle's shaky. Like, he is 90-whatever percentile. Like, in college, you know, he was a great rebounder. Do I say he was an elite rebounding prospect? Like, technically, for his position, he was for a two and or a, or a two-three. But, like, that kind of feels like cheating. Do you say he's an elite volume scorer? Is that a thing? Not really. Probably not. It's kind of a similar problem that you run into with Anthony Edwards, where it's, like, he's an elite athlete, but that's it. Everything else is kind of a stretch. You're like, ah, he's an elite shot maker, whatever that means, if in, as long as you don't include, like, making the actual shots. <laughs> for that. He's an elite shot taker. Right, he's an elite shot take. Exactly, that's what I'm saying. So, like it, because of those things, it wasn't. It wasn't easy for me to evaluate him. It's a little easier now that he has decided to give a shit about defense, um, in the NBA, which he didn't really give a shit about at Duke because he had Zion and Cam Reddish and other guys who are all like top, top, top notch defenders. Trey, um, Trey Jones. So like. I don't know. I'm, I'm still. I think I've come around to giving him a little bit of the benefit of the doubt, just because. Just a quick reminder: today's show is brought to you by RockAuto.com. I don't know if you consider yourself a home mechanic, like I do. I mean, I I wouldn't say that I'm going to be out there, you know, changing out the head gasket of my engine anytime soon. But I like to change headlights. I like to make little cosmetic repairs to my car. Uh, when need be and you know I can recharge an air conditioning a little stuff like that and I like to test myself particularly you know COVID season it's been easy to sort of fall into a lull and it's nice to test yourself and do something new so why not try fixing up your car now the only the only problem with that is that in the past you know if you wanted to go get a car part it, typically your first thought would be to follow one of the catchy commercials on TV and go to one of these brick and mortar stores Go in and, you know, see if you can get your part there. The only issue is when you go in, you get asked a bunch of questions you don't necessarily know the answers to. Because, like, quite frankly, you're just following a how-to you found on YouTube. And, like, you know, you're just following basic instructions like a recipe. And you don't necessarily know all the parts of your car. So they start asking you all these probing questions. Then you figure out that, go figure, at this tiny little brick-and-mortar store, they don't have parts for every single car in the history of man. They need to special order it for you. And then you get the the bill and you say, oh, my God, this is not what I was expecting to pay. And realize that they're charging you an arm and a leg for something that you didn't think was going to cost that much because they charge more to regular consumers than they would charge to a mechanic. So if you've ever gone through that experience, fret no more because you don't have to anymore. Now you can go to rockauto.com. It's way easier. You go on the site. They have every make of car that you could pretty much ever think of. You click on your make a car, you click on the year, click on the model, and then click on the trim package, and you're greeted with a really easy-to-use drop-down menu 
of all the parts for your car sorted in the categories. They're all really inexpensive, like easily the lowest prices you're going to find anywhere on the internet. And rockauto.com gives you great customer service because they're a family-owned business that is very invested in making sure that you, the consumer, are happy with your products and they'll ship everything right to your door so you don't have to make another trip back to that brick-and-mortar auto parts store when your stuff comes in. So if you are interested in you know, taking on a home repair yourself and maybe challenging yourself during during this mostly stay-at-home time, we're starting to get a little more out of our shells, but it's still better to spend some time at home and do some stuff there. Head to rockauto.com and check out all the parts available for your car or truck. And if you decide to pull the trigger on something, write locked on in their how did you hear about us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com. For him to, like, I know the inefficiency was there, but he literally had the worst spacing in the NBA. Like, B-Ball Index measures it using, there's a long nylon calculus article they use explaining it, but they basically estimate lineup spacing on average for players, and he was in the zeroth percentile in the NBA. (laughs) I've never heard someone say the zeroth percentile before. I don't even know if that's the way you phrase it. B-Ball Index? (laughs) For anybody who's at the zeroth percentile, they just put a poop emoji. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's the right answer. That's accurate. It is. So, like, at the same time, like, like, I think the line between, like, oh, wow, what an inefficient player. And, like, yes, he was inefficient, but I'm not tripping. is very fine, right? Like, what did he end up shooting, like, from the field? Like, uh... He wound up shooting uh, overall for the whole year 40.2% from the field, 32% from three, and 61.4% from the line. Although it should be noted, and I I probably will note it in a minute, that his splits generally went up almost across the board after December. So, yes, the whole whole 11 games after December. (laughs) Yeah, right. Um, Yeah. But I, they did go up, and uh, you know he had a little bit better lineups around him, which is not a coincidence at that point. Shout out to Mike Miller. Um, I don't know. I think with all that preamble and hedging said, I'd probably I wouldn't take him. I would. I I I love Lamelo, which is well documented. So I wouldn't take him over Lamelo. Um, Lamelo has elite passing and elite ball handling and. He just makes everybody better so much that that's it. That's like a easy, it's an easy call for me. Um, but after that, I think, I think it gets dicey. And I think if you're, if you're talking about guys like Edwards, I mean, I'm just going to pretend Wiseman doesn't exist for this conversation. But if you're talking about Edwards, it's this, it's the similar thing to RJ, right? You're hoping things come together for the NBA in a way that they really haven't shown in his career, except for RJ, at least they came together from the perspective of scoring a little bit more efficiently and winning um, everywhere. RJ Barrett has won everywhere. Anthony Edwards, not so much. Obviously he had help at Duke, but even like in the Canadian team, like they beat the USA and, you know, then his high school team was like a juggernaut team and, Stuff like that. So, um, I think you can make him and you could put RJ in that T. I would put RJ probably. I don't know if I would put him. In, so in my tier one right now, I, it's just Killian and Lamelo. Um, 
I don't know if I would put him with them. I probably personally would put him at the top of the next tier. But it's a tier for a reason, right? I don't think I, I wouldn't be confident enough that in him that I would take that that I'd like bet that he'd be a sure bet over some of the other guys I really like, like Ant, like who I still like despite all his uh, habits on the court. Um, but I would put him in. I would put him right there, right after with Ant, because at the same time, like if. after looking at how many elite skills do they have, the other thing I look at is, like, how many things need to go right for them to be, to have a star impact. And with R.J. Barrett, it's, the answer is he has to become a mediocre jump shooter because he, you already know he can pass from the outside of the court. Um, You know, he can drive, which was was a big question for him. Like, I, I don't think people should underestimate that. Like, people knew... He drove a lot, and he bullied his way to the hoop in college. But his handle's not not good. So the question of, is he going to be able to just get to the rim at will, was an open question. And he answered it with a yes. He still can't finish there very well. He got a little better from when he was at Duke. But between the spacing and his lack of hops in the crowd, he's still not a great finisher. But, I mean, you give the guy a a decent jumper and he's probably going to be pretty good. He's, I don't know if he's going to be like a all NBA candidate, but he'll probably be pretty good. The other guys in this year's draft, if you're talking about upside star upside, you usually need more than one thing to happen. Right? Like with the Coro, it's his handles and his jump shot. And he has to learn to take more shots with Vassal. It's like he has to shoot more threes. He has to learn to dribble. He has to shoot off the dribble. He has to gain weight uh, with the easiest one is with Edwards, where it's just like he has to just be rewired, <laughs> re, re, uh, reconfigured. It's not any skill thing. So I don't know. That that was a long ramble. So I'll stop there for now. <laughs> yeah, I think yesterday I I had a day to sit with it, and I feel like I might have been a, a little harsh to RJ, who who I love, and I I was trying to make clear yesterday that and maybe that won't be proven out like the more people we talk to about this that I I thought I was actually relatively high on him and I think I said I would have taken him somewhere around sixth and I I just I don't know the prospects as well as you do Prez but I I was just sort of going through my mind and thinking all right no way over LaMelo Killian sort of iffy personally like I I like obviously not for the Knicks but just in like a big board sense like I kind of think Okongwu like might end up being a better player. I don't know. I was, I was kind of higher on him. Um, and there were a few other guys, but where I was like kind of really focused is like just comparing him to like the other wings that would very obviously be in that range. Um, Edwards, I, I think is, is such an interesting debate because it all, it gets into what we always talk about with these conversations, like upside versus who has the higher floor. And I'm much more certain RJ is going to be like a 15 year NBA player. Like, and to me, that's almost like RJ's greatest strength is that he really doesn't take, like his brilliance is that he doesn't take a single thing off the table. Like obviously last year, he was a really subpar shooter and finisher, but you'd think with time he would, he'd get to a point where that's at the very least, not a disastrous part of his game, whether it's his shooting from distance or his his finishing at the rim. And, and to what both of you said, he combines that with like an ability beyond his years to just use a combination of craftiness and strength to get to the basket um, versus someone like Edwards, who I almost think like most teams would 
bet on Edwards over a year of RJ because it just it was very clear to me like there's just not a world where RJ is going to be like the best player on a title team. I don't really think there's a world where he's going to be the second best player on a title team. He could prove me wrong. Um, I, I just see him as someone who like there's a very good chance that he could play in, in a game seven of an NBA finals. You could play him 35 minutes and, and he's going to have a positive impact for your team. And, and that that's sort of where I think the value is. And then to me, that more so like puts him in a tier with guys like and again, you, you could quibble with like if the higher upside guys who I had ahead of him. But players like Okoro and Vassell, and, and that's that's kind of what I wanted to ask you about, Prez, um, like the comparison between RJ and those guys. Because Al- Alex and I were talking about it a little bit pre-show, and I was sort of making the case, like, why isn't Okoro a better version of him? Like, far better defensively, similar strength, um, better finisher at the rim, uh, at least, or at least a, a more athletic finisher at the rim. Similar issues with shooting. I mean, I would, I would even say, like, I kind of like... Okoro's form a little bit more, even if the percentages were maybe even worse. Um, really smart as a cutter, too. Good passer. I don't think quite as good as RJ, but he's certainly not at a deficit in that area. So I was kind of curious your thoughts on comparing those two and maybe even throw Vassell in there as well. Yeah, I've actually been thinking about that because they're they are similar in some ways. They're almost the same size, right? Um, they're literally let me pull up the tweet. I pulled up their standing reach for a tweet earlier to well, Enough. while you're looking that up, I mean, I just want to stress, like, <laughs> I, I'll pull this right out of your, your profile on Okoro. Okoro shot 16% on two-point jump shots and 28% on threes this year. I don't, I don't really know if it's fair to compare his and RJ's shooting game. Like, I think, I think if you're going to say that, I, I mean, Okoro is probably defensively better, and I definitely think he's a better athlete, but... I have much less worries in general about RJ Barrett eventually figuring out his jump shot than I do a Coro. Wait, but uh, RJ was at 31% from three in college. That's not like a massive difference. It's not like a huge difference, but I mean, you also got to look at what they were entrusted with in college. I mean, RJ consistently in college was basically just given the ball by Coach K and told to figure it out. Like, he also he was, had better talent around him, though. I mean, yeah, but he was, I mean, he was not put in advantageous situations all that often. (laughs) Like, I don't know. I mean, I I think actually it's funny though, the more that I'm thinking about, there are some similar things between them in terms of like, like it was sort of what Prez was saying, like with RJ, as far as RJ doesn't lose. And that was a big part of, you know, his profile on a Coro and, and uh, uh, Benoit's profile on a Coro that he did for Strickland as well. It was like, Okoro doesn't lose like he's he, he's born to be a professional in the sense that like he's he's going to go out there and he's going to try to win you the damn basketball game. He doesn't really care about much of anything other than winning the game. And I, I think RJ is kind of in a similar mold to that, like extremely hard worker, you know, like uh, to use old cliches like nose to the grindstone type, you know, crap like that. But I, I think I think that RJ was at Duke. At least, and I mean, maybe I just haven't watched enough of Okoro to get a feel for whether he was put in situations like this. And another thing for you, Press, to like maybe shed some light on. But I mean, I think that RJ in college was asked to do. I mean, he was on a team with Zion Williamson, who everybody by ten games in the season decided was consensus number one player in America, rightfully so. And also had Reddish on his team, who it, it turned out vastly underperformed and kind of sucked uh and 
And then, you know, he was basically asked by Coach K, regardless of the situation with Zion or anybody else, to go out there and win them basketball games. Like, almost, I would say on a nightly basis, because they have plenty of games where they steamrolled because they were a college power. But there was plenty of games, like the closer games, where it hit, you know, crunch time situations. And it seemed like Coach K's general game plan was just kind of like, give RJ the ball up top and clear out. Like, I don't care how good Zion is, we're giving the ball to RJ in this situation. And I, I, I think RJ just went out there and tried to complete those scenarios. And then you had situations like that. I always, when I was talking about the potential negatives for RJ last year, I always kept going back to the Gonzaga game where he just like essentially was forced to shoot the, to shoot Duke into a loss in that game because it, Coach K just kept giving him the ball up top and being like, figure it out. And he, he just went in and got like completely owned by Brandon Clark like three times and, uh, on the inside and like I think missed an outside shot or something too and it was just a miserable end to the game for him but those were kind of the situations that Coach K put him in a lot I think at Duke which sort of pumped his numbers and efficiency down a little bit but sorry I just kind of ranted a little bit Prez you were looking for a number and I just kind of yeah it, but no that stuff is is all true it's all good points um it, like you know if you look at most of Okoro's threes, they're mostly catch and shoot. Um, first half of the season, he was scared to take them. Second half, he was more willing. Um, he does have a few off the dribble threes. Um, I, I tweeted a earlier today, I tweeted one of them, the one where he had versus Kentucky that was like a legit step back three, and the form looks good. And the thing that's funny with Okoro is when he's he has threes where his form looks totally fine, it's just the like the variance from shot to shot is just astounding in his form. RJ Barrett is the opposite problem. His form looks the same. It's just off consistently, right? And there and he's really hard to peg mechanically. Um there were so many people on draft Twitter who were not that concerned about RJ Barrett's shot. And you know, he still didn't shoot that well. He got shot a little better as the season went on, but, um, and, and I, I think he'll be fine. Cause it's not, he's not like Michael Kidd Gilchrist form out there, but, um, you know, clearly, you know, him shooting well, wasn't a foregone conclusion either. So, uh, you know, even if he got easier shots, I think him and Clark, I mean, not Clark, him and Okoro, even though they're both six, six, both about 220 pounds, both jacked, um, Okoro has a eight foot four standing reach RJB eight foot six, so they're basically the same size. Um, and as an aside, I think it's funny that RJ is universally considered a 2-3. And you have people on Twitter talking about Okoro playing power forward. And I know positions don't mean as much in the NBA now, but like Okoro is a shooting guard-sized player. And like anybody who drafts him needs to deal with that. Like If you put him at the 3, he's still like average-sized at best. right? Jason Tatum... Luca, Chris Middleton, all these guys tower over him height-wise. And thank God he's really strong and a good defender because his wingspan is good, not great. And these guys are just going to be able to shoot over the top of him in a lot of instances. So he's going to have to push them around like Marcus Smart does, um, which hopefully he can do, especially if he's on the Knicks because that's a he looks like he could leg press just like all the plates at once, just like <laughs> they just run out of plates. Um, but yeah, RJB and Okoro, they have their biggest, what de- what's going to define both of them is 
challenges, which are polar opposites for both of them. With Okoro, whether he has any upside in the NBA is directly tied to um, if you buy his handle on Deshaun as both being fine and not horrible, then it's really just a matter of him finding ways to get up the shots, right? Like I, I had, a, I had some Okoro exchanges to meet with on exchanges on Twitter today, where I'm a little lower on his ball handling than other people are. And I think the reason is because to me, I'm like, he's a two, three in his size. So his, his handle has to be a little bit better um, than somebody who's going to play the four full time or be a three, four. If you want him to be a, you know, some Jimmy Butler type player, Jimmy Butler came in as a shooting guard, right? Nobody has ever described Okoro as a shooting guard ever in his life. They described RJ as a shooting guard, even though he couldn't shoot. So clearly it's not the lack of a jump shot that prevents people from being classified as a shooting guard. It's because he plays like a bigger player, not like a guard. So um, if you buy his handle being fine, which it might be, like he doesn't have a horrible handle. He just was very choice in when he drove and was very strong when he drove, which is why he drew a million fouls. Um, So yeah, if he can handle and if he can shoot okay, then like, if you believe if you're that high on him, he should be top three on your board. And there's some people on draft Twitter, to their credit, that do have him that high. But like, if if you're gonna tell me like he's better than RJ at all these things, and the the driving and creation is not a big and shooting is not a big step for him, then he should be like top three, if not like top two, if not number one, given his defense. To be completely honest, so I just think there's sometimes a a little bit of a disconnect in how we look when we when we talk about some guys upside but then if you like if i really put you in the hot seat i'm like okay you're a gm and there's millions of dollars at stake do you really believe that i think some people would probably be like okay maybe that's not a 75th percentile outcome maybe that's a 95th percentile outcome but with rj barrett you know he can get up the shots he has to dial it down and be more selective about the shots and to some degree, we saw that he still took a lot of mid-range shots, but not nearly as many as he did at Duke. Um, he took a lot more at the rim. He can probably shoot some more from three, but that's probably Fisdale and Miller's fault as much as it is his fault, to be honest. Um, so, I don't know. We'll see if Okoro can dial up his usage, and we'll see if RJB can smarten up his usage. That's kind of why I had him in my funny joke column as taller Justice Winslow, and... Uh, in the mid-level one, Canadian Larry Hughes, the first sentence is, I actually think this iteration of RJB scores more points per game than the high-end one. And that was what I was trying to illustrate, is that, like Larry Hughes, you know, if you, you can get up shots, that doesn't mean you're going to help your team. Justice has realized that he's not the guy he was coming out of Duke, but he's still really good when he's healthy, right? He's a useful player. And if if you have like a slightly taller version of justice who can stay healthy, that's like a really useful rotation. That's like every other player on the heat right now, guys who can like drive, kick, defend are like 220 pounds and like foul and get fouled. Right. That's like a useful, super useful player, which is the same thing as a coral. So like they are similar. I just think the upside is easier to reach for RJ. Um, but, you know, if, if 
if you, if you care about like having top end defense, I mean, I guess I could see it. That's why I would have them in the same tier. I just personally don't see it. Yeah, that, that's all fair. I, I think what I, I didn't think enough about yesterday when I was talking about, and I went back and looked and uh, reread a, a um, Nick's Film School newsletter that I really enjoyed all the way back in March on RJ's passing. And it sort of reminded me of what I loved about him during the regular season and, and why context is so crucial to evaluating these guys. I mean, you mentioned the zeroth percentile spacing. And despite that still average two and a half assists per game, I think he's a guy in his prime, like given like a fairly ideal roster who could average five or six assists per night. And if you're getting that from a wing who's a secondary creator without great athleticism, who generates easy passes um, just by like their sheer ability to to draw help, um, that that's a pretty good sign that a guy has really, really good court vision. And to me, that, that was RJ to a T, like. Uh, someone who, and I think Jonathan Macri used this word, and I, I agreed with it, was like very deliberate as a passer. Like he was rarely like doing like the Luca thing where you're picking out guys out of nowhere last second who come free at the very last moment, but at the same time was patient enough and um, ju- just intelligent enough as a basketball player to say, all right, if I do this, this person will come open. Let me manipulate the board this way by taking two hard dribbles right, drawing the help defender one step over, and then whipping a pass into the opposite corner. And to his credit, he had the strength to make that pass. He would make it with accuracy. He would consistently hit guys um, in the shooting pocket. He, he was just advanced beyond his years as a ball mover, and especially as a 19-year-old. So that was so impressive to me. And if you're looking for kind of the flash skill with RJ, that that's sort of it to a T. And I would just, I would love to see him um, on a team that can highlight that. I, I was just sort of thinking about it because um, one other thing I wanted to throw at you, Prez, was like maybe going back to last year's draft, like who are the guys that you would um, you would take ahead of him? And like, obviously, like John, Zion, no question. Brandon Clark, probably, though maybe some people would debate that. And Tyler Harrow was the name I was kind of getting caught up on. And I was watching the Eat Bucks game tonight and I was watching Harrow just sort of toast guys one-on-one. And with the shooting, I was saying, all right, it's no question. I'd rather take Harrow. But to some degree, I think you switch like the situations like Harrow's like way, way less efficient on the Knicks. And I'd love to see RJ on a team like the Heat where everyone's kind of empowered to be like a passer and there's just movement all over the court. And there are always tons of shooters like guys like Duncan Robinson, Goran Dragic to kick it out to. And I was just I couldn't help but think, God, like RJ would be kicking ass in the playoffs right now on a team like Miami. And I'm sure he'd have some have his mistakes and teams would be playing way, way off him and daring him to take a whole bunch of threes. Defensively, he'd be getting pulled out and, and guys would be going one-on-one at him constantly. So there'd certainly be some weaknesses, but I would just offensively as kind of a, a secondary creator, I would love to see him on a team like that. And I, I think he could pick even some of the better defenses in the NBA apart as a teenager. And I, I'd love to see what he could do in a couple of years in the right situation. Yeah, this matters so much. Like, Harold's in a great situation. And, you know, it was popular to put... A lot of people thought Culver was, like, a safer version of RJ, but they had this... They had very similar issues, and he was also not in an ideal situation. Like RJ, he was thrust out there at point guard inexplicably at the beginning of the year because of injuries and weird coaching. And he also floundered with it, um, just like RJ, even though RJ had a his nice first game as a Nick. Um, you know, RJ's shot pretty much stayed the same maybe got a little better culver's got worse so you know when when people say swing skilled they mean swing right that means it could go either way so that's what you're seeing with culver so uh, i don't know it's it's still early it's still early to really tell because you know this is a cop-out answer but like if guys have swing if when guys are not that good 
like they're not in that second like take take aside players like Luca and Zion and just you think about that the tier below that so like guys like Lamelo um you know Marvin Bagley whoever guys like that like not quite generational talents but pretty freaking good John Morant like these guys have swing skills but you know they're going to be pretty good if you go to the group below that then there's a whole lot of variance. And that's why guys who are like steals in the draft are often at 10 or 15 or 25 or whatever, because that whole group, once you get to that third tier or fourth or fifth, like it, there's just a lot of variance with swing skills. And it's just, you know, it's hard to predict. And a lot of the trepidation with RJ wasn't really because of his skill set, it was because he was the third prospect, right? In a draft where he was hyped up as being on the level of the two guys in the first group in this draft we pretty much knew the deal from the get-go right like we knew there was no zion we knew there was no jaw we knew there was probably no rj no 20 30 point scorer like it was just guys with flaws and interesting skills rj is closer to that than he is to zion and even john morant and i i just think that that hype and that expectation is really what has colored the expectations for him a lot and you know you talk about the wings in this year's draft they're guys who are interesting and have flaws right like it's not a particularly good wing class by any means it's not better than last year's wing class like y'all were saying like even guys like tyler harrow kevin porter jr jared colt like these guys would all be in the mix in the top 10 this year, right? Look at fucking Cam Johnson. Like, I was a little higher on him than some people. Uh, one of the rare hot takes for me that actually worked. And, like, you'd probably sign up for Cam John- 2020 Cam Johnson over half the people in this draft too, right? He'd probably be, like, you. people love Devin Vassell. What if I told you taller, better shooting Devin Vassell? How about that, right? That's Cam Johnson now. Uh, maybe not quite as good a defense, but, but yeah. So, and then you look at next year's class um I, i'm i'm sure most folks listening haven't haven't except for this stray Cade cunningham highlight reel on twitter but it's the opposite it's like a meal it's like everybody in the class is like six foot six six foot nine skilled wings who fucking dunk on your face from the free throw line like it's the opposite like you'll see next year when we're doing this pod again and you're like where would we put RJ Barrett and Isaac Accor, like these guys wouldn't be in the top 10 in next year's draft for like the same reason. There's just a lot of, you know, there's a lot of variance and stuff like that. And, and the hype colors expectations. And uh, it's why someone like Okoro might drop. It's why someone like RJ might get picked early. Um, I like them both. All right. That's all for today. Uh, as usual, you know, I Gavin and I talked before the show. We were like, oh, this would be a nice, tidy 30-minute episode. And things went longer than we projected uh, because there was a pretty intense RJ debate to be had, as it turns out. So next episode, we're going to finish up our debate on RJ Barrett and where he ranks in relation to this year's draft class. And then we're also going to talk with Prez about a couple other prospects that we haven't really talked too much about on here uh, we're going to talk about Patrick Williams, and we're going to talk about Tyrese Maxey a little bit. So two guys that I think Knicks fans are a little more interested in now that the Knicks have slipped to eight, and Williams ha- is getting top ten buzz, and Maxey obviously has that Kentucky connection uh, to new 
uh, Knicks assistant coach Kenny Payne. So we will get into that in tomorrow's episode of Locked on Knicks.